What's going on? Welcome to the Matt Bernier Show, part of the In The Money Media Network. My name is Matt Bernier. You can follow me on Twitter at Bernier underscore Matt. Today is Monday, January the 11th, 2021. This is episode 48 of the program. However, you listen to this thing, thank you for doing so. Number of ways to find the podcast. If you listen audio only, you have Apple Podcasts, you have Spotify, you have SoundCloud, you also have InTheMoneyPodcast.com. You can find this show along with the flagship show, the Players Podcast, along with Talk Racing to Me with Naomi Tucker, along with the Redboard Rewind with Spencer Luganbuehl, along with Nick Lux Daily Podcast, and much, much more. All available, all for free, over on InTheMoneyPodcast.com. You can also get involved with In The Money Plus. I would encourage you to take a look at that. If you are someone who watches as well as listens over on YouTube, all you need to do, search bar, Matt Bernier Show. This episode will come up along with the 47 prior. However you listen, please rate, review, subscribe. If it's podcast feed, if it's YouTube, thumbs up, thumbs down, the whole shebang. The more the merrier. All that helps us out in a big, big way. I would also encourage you to head on over to my own personal YouTube channel, Matt Bernier. Please subscribe. And however you are on YouTube, or if you are on YouTube and you listen, especially if you comment, not just for the Friday feature, but just in general, thoughts, observations, opinions, make sure the bell icon is lit up because if someone replies to you, you, you want to know if you get if you got some sort of back and forth and if the bell icon is not lit up, you're not going to know unless you just go and search it out on your own. So make sure that bell icon is lit up. You'll get notified anytime somebody comments on a comment that you left or anytime new content is uploaded, whether it's the in the money channel or over on my own personal one as well for this week's show. Uh, first thing, a little bit of an early look at the Pegasus world cup, just about two weeks out from that. Looking forward, I'm going to head down there to Gulfstream Park, going to help out with the NBC broadcast down there. Looking forward to some warmer weather than what I have here in the Northeast. Uh, We will then follow it up with the Friday feature. This Friday, it's going to be the seventh race from Aqueduct, and Aaron Reed's going to help us out to go over that race. I think it's a nice, salty N2X. You've got those nice... It's a it's a really sweet little tweener where you've got some of the old hard hitting vets that can still throw. You know the fastball might not be a hundred anymore, but it's still low mid nineties. Then you got some of these young kids who are, are less proven, but the upside is there, the potential is there. So I think that's going to be a fun race to go over. If you want to be involved in the Friday feature for next Monday's recording, you need to leave your selection beneath the video player on YouTube. It's the only way I will take a selection. And if you are correct in identifying the winner, the big A on Friday. I'll contact you, and we'll set up a time to record next week so you can be in Aaron's position uh, again. We'll also wrap things up with, oh, and actually, oddly enough, there's a funny little piece about, I already recorded the uh, the, the Friday feature with Aaron, and we were discussing a little bit of football. Uh, he happens to be an Indianapolis Colts fan, and I brought up uh, something that ended up being uh, pretty prescient. I think it was within about 35 or 40 minutes after that recording was concluded. I had mentioned, you know, "Ah, the Eagles, it's a little bit shaky with Doug Peterson. He's been relieved of his duties. So uh, oddly enough, if you hear that and you wonder why I'm speculating, it's because that news broke probably 35 minutes after we got done speaking. So neither here nor there. And we'll wrap things up with the $500 challenge. Effectively a week in the books. And I, I, it's part of the reason that I didn't want to have any like super hard rules that it needs to be seven days a week or any of that kind of jazz because last week I believe there were four days worth of plays I'll go over kind of update where things are uh, try to route you or, or steer you in the direction of where you can find the plays that go toward the $500 challenge and just overall thoughts on how the first you know we're getting back on the beam Got to get back on the horse after the disaster that was the first time through. And and the first week, it was a little bit slow, but a lot of, I, I personally believe, and this isn't just me trying to make excuses for things, I think kind of unlucky with a couple of spots, some some questionable rides, some tough trips um, that could easily turn the ledger in a pretty pretty dramatic way. So we'll go into that at the end of the show um, and kind of, again, head, get you in the right direction if you're looking for those plays. Those will be out a couple times this week anyway. But before we get into that, let's start off with the Pegasus talk. Now, we've got the Pegasus World Cup dirt as well as the Pegasus World Cup turf. I'm not going to do a ton on the turf. And again, we are still days in in advance of, of the actual field being drawn. We have invitations, and they continue to be updated with horses defecting and things like that. The turf, the reason I'm not going to go into it too, too much... Uh, to be honest, I think it's the better of the two races if all these horses do end up showing up. But I think the dirt race for me has a larger... 
has a larger scope in what could be and what may be expected or I'm hopeful for anyway for the balance of 2021. And in a weird way, it really has nothing to do with the horses that are running in the race specifically. It's what the race sort of means right now for the older division as far as, well, I'm the older division. I'll leave it at that. And what do I mean by that? I take a look at this list of invites. If both Bafferts, which one of them, Mucho Gusto, has been retired, it sounds like Charlatan is going to pass on this race and wait for the Saudi Cup, which is going to be a one-turn mile and an eighth. Personally, I think that's a better call, but that's another story for another day. You take those two horses out, and the main body list of invites for the dirt race, it's a fun race, but I don't think anyone's going to mistake in it for, for an all-time showdown of, of upper echelon talent. Um, you have a couple horses uh, who have drawn in from the reserve invitees to the main body invitees at this point in Math Wizard and King Guillermo. So that leaves right now, if this field as currently constituted were to go to post, you would be looking at Code of Honor, Harper's First Ride, Jesus's Team, Kiss Today Goodbye, Nick's Go, Mr. Freeze, Sleepy Eyes Todd, Tax, True Timber, Math Wizard, and King Guillermo. Again, from a gambling standpoint and from just a pure horse racing standpoint, the race itself, pretty solid group put together. Grade one, mm, fringe, but all in all, a pretty solid group. You're going to have multiple options. You can have a few different ways. I don't think you're going to have a prohibitive favorite. Um, if this is the field that ends up going, I think you're probably looking at either Code of Honor or, or Nick's Go going off as favored with tax probably just in behind them. That's assuming all these horses go. But the reason that I'm, I'm, I wanted to kind of get a jump on this race, uh, you know, about two weeks in advance of it being run, you go through. I'm going to rattle off the five most recent buyer speed figures for each of these horses. I'm going to do it very, very quickly. Code of Honor, 101, 106, 99, 102, 101. Harper's First Ride, 100, 100, 90, 101, 96. Jesus's Team, 97, 102, 91, 92, 95. Kiss Today Goodbye, 98, 93, 89, 84, 101. Okay, Nick's Go. I'm only going to go with three because these are the three races since he has been in Brad Cox's barn. They also came after a lengthy layoff. 108, 107, 100. Mr. Freeze, 98, 97, 96, 92, 96. Sleepy Eyes Todd, 100, 98, 90, 102, 99. Tax, 105, 92, 83, 101, 98. True Timber, 106, 95, 81, 98, 91. Math Wizard, 96, 82, 85, 191. And King Guillermo, 85, 93, 99, 82, 88. None of those speed figures with the exception of perhaps the two most recent ones that Nick's Go has earned, the ones that are in the high 100 range, none of those are going to blow your socks off. And in all reality, none of those are going to win major grade one races going forward, with the exception of those two from Nick's Go. And perhaps if you want to throw in the 106 from Code of Honor, two starts back. And if you want to throw in the 105 from Tax and his most recent run down there, Gulfstream. I am glossing over True Timbers 106 that he earned winning the cigar because it's a one-turn mile, and I think it's apples to oranges compared to what he's going to have to deal with uh, next Saturday, not this coming Saturday. So as far as the race itself is concerned, fine. Everything looks great. But what does this mean long-term? To me, it's just more of an indictment on the fact that the older division is barren. If this is the best of the best, and I recognize if Charlatan were in here, you're probably talking about a different story. But if I'm being honest, I don't know what Charlatan's best game is going to be. Uh, it's far too early. The sample is far too small to definitively say that he's going to absolutely be a better horse as they go longer. He's only done it, what, once, twice? And I think there's a, I don't want to say a, a confirmed reason that they're going to go to Saudi Arabia as opposed to run here at Gulfstream. I recognize timing. Things are going to be a little bit more beneficial, but I can't help but notice that, again, they're sticking to the one-turn race. There may be something to that, but I digress. When you look at this field, if this is going to be the group of older horses that are going to contest some of the bigger races that we have in the calendar in 2021, specifically for older horses, then it's a very, very hungry group. Now, you can always have the three-year-olds jump up in a large way. Who knows? 
maybe these four-year-olds or, or, or five-year-olds who, you know, a horse like Tax who had a very abbreviated campaign last year, maybe he's really ready to flourish and turn into something else. But I tweeted it when Tis the Law was retired. You take Tis the Law out of that equation, and while I had said he didn't really, to me, progress as a three-year-old, that didn't mean that he wasn't going to be a major player in, in races like this. It's a It's a very, very... It's not a weak group, but it is not an all-time group by any stretch. And I think the door is not just open. The door is kicked down. And I would hope, and this is this really where I'm going with this whole little open. The door is kicked down for the new connections, the folks that spent $9.5 million, spend Thrift Farm, the door is kicked down to take a horse like Monomoy Girl, who is already a Hall of Famer, who is already one of the better race mares we've seen in the past handful of years, let's say 10 to 15 years. She does. She belongs in the, the Beholder, the Zenyatta, the Rachel Alexandra territory. Th- th- to me, the door is blown open. For her to go from, which is already rarefied air, to possibly putting herself in the the annals of time as far as doing something exceptionally special. Because we've seen three-year-old fillies, specifically Rachel Alexandra in recent years, go through and beat the boys on multiple occasions. But it was... With the exception of the Woodward, it was three-year-old restricted races. When was the last time we saw an older fillier mare not just take on the boys, but take them on regularly? And and this is not a conversation for the folks who, you know, too often I, I see whenever anybody suggests the idea of the girls against the boys, oh, well, just let them run against the girls. and they, There are plenty of good races for them to win. I get all that. Typically, you're talking about three-year-olds and horses who might try the Derby as opposed to the Oaks and things like that. Monomoy Girl legitimately has nothing to gain other than money for her new connections to just beat all the, to win all the girls' races again. There's no, what does another Breeders' Cup distaff do for her? Does a third one really make her take her from this to this? Maybe it does. But you know what could take her from this to this? Putting together some sort of a campaign where she takes on males multiple times and wins, culminating in the Breeders' Cup Classic. I don't know if the Connections have any intention of doing this. I can't imagine they would have brought her back to not try to do something special with her. And if you want to say the distance at a mile and a quarter is an unknown, sure. She's never done it before, I don't believe, offhand. Her only trip to Saratoga was the coaching club American Oaks, and that was at a mile and an eighth. So unless I'm forgetting something, and I can pull up her PPs really quickly, she's never gone a mile and a quarter. She's gone a mile and an eighth a few times. It sounds like, uh, I believe I read a story in the Thoroughbred Daily News that uh, Brad Cox and company, they've got her back. She was always in training, but it was just kind of light stuff. They're starting to really get her ramped up. The goal is the Bayacoa on February 15th down at Oakland Park. And I can understand not wanting to bring her back in a spot like the Pegasus, only a a relatively quick turnaround these days. But let's say the Bayacoa is the starting off point. I've put together what I would love to see as a campaign for a horse like Monomoy Girl, who, again, depending on how you want to look at it, if, if you think there is a great deal to be gained by winning the same races two, three Times, great, that's fine. I don't think it's going to make a difference for her legacy one way or the other. She's already a Hall of Famer for all the reasons I laid out. But if she were to go and beat the boys on multiple occasions, even if it is a group of, let's say, average older males, it's still going to put her in genuine rarefied air. So if this was what the connections had in mind, or this is something that they're kicking the tires on, a campaign that I'm thinking that I would that I would love to see that I think would be phenomenal for a horse like Monomoy Girl. And I'm curious what all your thoughts are on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt or beneath the video player on YouTube. 
She comes back in the Bayakoa on February 15th. You would imagine it's nothing more than a means to an end to get to the Apple Blossom against females. Uh, that race is going to be run in April. At that point, that's when I think the schedule, if you really want it to be an all-timer, that's when it you got to crank it up a little bit. And now also recognizing she's run only 15 times. And I, I get it that she had a giant, she missed a, a you know year and a half because of injury. But they don't run her terribly frequently. So I think you're probably looking at a campaign of no more than five to six races. And I think that's pushing it. It's probably going to be closer to five. But I would love to see something like this put together. You're running the Bayakoa, you're running the Apple Blossom. The Apple Blossom's in April. You give her a month. You bring her back in the Met Mile. She has shown her affinity for the one turn. I believe Brad Cox is on record saying she's at her best when she's at one turn. Uh, you know, who knows? Perhaps you get a showdown with a horse like Charlatan. Perhaps you get other giant horses who show up in that race who just the one turn mile seems to hit them between the eyes. It'd be a phenomenal test to see. Let's say she goes there, win, lose, or draw. She comes out of it. She's in good shape. She's been to Saratoga one time in her career. That was winning the CCA Oaks as a three-year-old at a mile and an eighth. What better opportunity to add to a resume, a Hall of Fame resume already, but really to try to stamp your, you know, seal as as perhaps, you know, you can count on, on two hands where she would fit. Runner in the Whitney at a mile and an eighth against males. You know the track's not an issue. You know the distance isn't an issue. And in theory, depending on if if you, I, to me, that would be the the prime opportunity where let's say you ran those first three races, you run in the Whitney. Now you have the choice to either give her two months off before the Breeders' Cup and come in fresh and look, firing fresh is not a problem for this girl. Or if you really wanted to, you could run her in September and assuming you wanted a race, let's say you ran in the Whitney and you passed on September, you trained her up to the Breeders' Cup. Perfect. Runner in the Classic at a mile and a quarter. If you didn't want to run in the Whitney following an effort in the Met Mile, but you wanted to get a prep into her, which we've seen on two occasions, the two years that she's won the Breeders' Cup Distaff, the three-year-old campaign, she ran in the Cotillion, which was in the middle of September, and roughly six weeks later, she ran in the Breeders' Cup Distaff and won. This past year, she ran in the La Troyenne, which was the first weekend in September, and then came back eight weeks later and won the Breeders' Cup Distaff. So a six to eight week window for the two years that she won the Distaff. Keeping in mind, the, the La Troyenne is not going to be an option for you, knock on wood, barring something ridiculous happening in 2021. The only reason that the, car, the, the chips fell the way that they did was because of COVID as far as that race being an option at that point in the year. Typically, if it's not that race, you're probably looking at a race like the Zenyatta out at Santa Anita, but I cannot imagine the connections wanting to ship her from, I assume she'll be based at Churchill, as she has been, or Keeneland, one of the two. I can't imagine them wanting to ship her out there for a race in September, back home, and then back out in November. And I don't, I I, I couldn't see them leaving her out there for six, seven, eight weeks. So, then that would open up the possibility of a place like Churchill Downs opening up uh, some sort of a, a race that they write for her. It wouldn't be the first time, and it won't be the last time, and I don't have a problem with it. They write a race for her at a mile and a 16th or whatever the connections would like the race to be at, and it's effectively just the prep. It's nothing more than to shake the rust off and get her ready for a run in the Breeders' Cup. I'm at the point now where if it's anything other than the classic, I'll be very, very disappointed. It'll be great to see. It's always great to see great athletes perform at the highest level. But the distaff, a third distaff for me is eh, fine. Great. You're already better than all of them. Barring some three-year-old fillies or or newly turned four-year-old fillies that jump up in a big way. The, The classic, though, going a distance you've never run at a track you've never run out of Del Mar against the males... You all of a sudden, you, her resume would be every bit as good, if not better, than a horse like Zenyatta's. And would, does she have the fanfare of a Zenyatta? No, I don't, I don't know if any other horse will ever have the fanfare that Zenyatta did. But just soup to nuts, 
you, I don't know how you could argue that a campaign, and let's, hell, let's not even say that she runs against the boys at any point until the Classic. Two distaffs and a Classic, along with all the other accolades along the way, that's probably the best fill your mare resume that we've seen in, in 20 years. Including Beholders, who I think Beholder is probably the best of the lot. Better than Zenyatta, better than Rachel Alexandra when they were all at their best. So that would be, that's the reason or part of the reason that I think next Saturday, the, the, the Pegasus World Cup, I think that race is not just important for those horses that are running in it and shaping the division going forward, but I think it's really, really important for the likes of a Monomoy girl. If something crazy happens in the Pegasus from a result standpoint, then there is no excuse for Monomoy girl not to be running in some of these kind of races. The Met Mile, the Whitney, things like that. And obviously the Breeders' Cup Classic. If you get a blowout performance from Tax and he takes his game to the next level and he earns a, a low one-teen buyer, okay, you have a worthy... A worthy opponent if charlatan goes to the middle east and puts on a show fair totally get it i'm not even factoring in the possibility of a horse like monomoy girl running in dubai I, I just don't see that being a a thing but you never know but boy how fun would a campaign of the Bayacoa, the apple blossom the met mile the whitney and the breeders cup classic be because i tell you what barring someone jumping up in a giant way She's she's got to be among the favorites for all of those races, if not the outright favorite. And understanding that some of these horses can improve in a big, big way. And from a speed figure standpoint, that's the most incredible thing about a horse like Monomoy Girl. She is f far from the fastest thing you've ever seen if you're just strictly a numbers player. But there is something to be said about a horse that just wants to go out and win. And she's crossed the wire first on 14 occasions. She was disqualified one time, and in her career debut, she finished second by a neck. She wins races. That's all she does, on the lead, off the lead, whatever it may be. So this Pegasus World Cup may not be loaded with Hall of Famers, but I think it could have major ramifications for a future Hall of Famer. Let me know what your thoughts are about the race itself and the thoughts of Monomoy Girl in 2021. Beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter, at Bernie or underscore Matt. Now, let's pivot to some more, I'm trying to think of, not more recent, but some, some racing that's actually coming up a little bit sooner. Coming up on Friday at Aqueduct, race number seven. It's a one-turn mile. Now, one is a two other than Aaron Reed, here to help us out with the Friday feature. If you want to be in Aaron's position next Monday, leave your selection beneath the video player on YouTube. I will contact you if you are correct, and we'll set up a time to record. First things first, we got to get through this week's. Here it is, the Friday feature from Aqueduct. All right, Friday feature time. This week's guest, Aaron Reed. He was the winner, one of two last week, that correctly identified the winner down at Tampa Bay Downs in the, free, the feature down there. That was race number eight. Uh, that was six furlongs on the main track. This is going to be a little bit different. We haven't been to New York in a while, and, and this looks like it's a nice full race. You've got 10 signed on, scheduled to go anyway at Aqueduct on Friday afternoon. Aaron Reed, first things first, before we get into that, Welcome. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, Matt. I appreciate the opportunity. No, I appreciate you taking taking some time out here on a Monday afternoon to uh, chop up some racing. We were just talking a little bit about the uh, the weekend that was as far as football is concerned. You said you were taking a look at this race during the midst of that. Uh, what effectively was a blowout last night with the Browns and the Steelers? I know the, the final score and maybe there early in the fourth quarter, it got a little bit tighter, but effectively a blowout. And unfortunately for you, uh, a, a Colts fan. What were the overall thoughts as the over the course of that game against Buffalo on Saturday? It felt like one of those games where there were just little mistakes, little things all along the way eventually added up to a loss. They had a chance to kick a field goal early and they didn't take it. So then they were chasing points the rest of the way. They went for two in a, in a position where it didn't seem to make any sense. And then they just you know, they challenged a call that was clearly not going to get overturned and wasted a timeout, and they wasted another timeout in the third quarter. So lots of little things added up to a three-point loss, unfortunately, because they, they caught the bills, quite frankly, on an off day. 
And as far as all the chatter sort of surrounding the quarterback situation is concerned, I mean, you as a Colts fan, I guess I'll give you two options. Well, I shouldn't say two options. A, would you be disappointed if Phillip Rivers decided to come back and sign another one-year deal? I wouldn't be disappointed, but I wouldn't be excited either. Um, If they had somebody waiting in the wings that was a surefire guy to go to, then I wouldn't be disappointed. But right now they don't, so... And I suppose that kind of takes that second piece or the second part will go part B. You know, you hear the chatter about Carson Wentz and who knows what happens with Doug Peterson in Philadelphia, what they end up doing there. But the Colts have a ton of cap room. They would be one of the teams. And obviously the Frank Reich situation, we know that connection. I mean, is as a Colts fan, is the idea of Carson Wentz appealing at a giant number and based on what we've seen or the lack thereof of what we've seen this past year? I would probably rather go to door number three, whatever that may be. <laughs> Wentz doesn't excite. Now, granted, he could he'll certainly have a better team around him in Indianapolis than he had in Philadelphia, so he he could revert back to being a better quarterback. But, you know, it's, it is a rough, rough year to watch Carson this year. Yeah, especially for a guy who you know what he's capable of at his best. It, to me and, you know, my friends all going back and forth, and, and here we are, you know, call it Monday morning quarterbacks or whatever you will. You know, we look at it and say, I don't, I, it, he didn't make those sort of mistakes or those sort of throws or those sort of decisions. You know, I mean, you had the year that he was going to win the MVP had he not blown out his knee. And then even the year that he came back, he was very, very competent. This year, it just seemed like he lost his confidence all around, and it seems like that situation in Philadelphia is a little bit sideways. So we'll see what happens. That'll be an interesting sort of side story to watch as we go into the offseason. There's still plenty of football left to be played, though. As far as racing is concerned, before we get into Race 7 at Aqueduct on Friday, um, overall, what um, what's your background? How did you get involved in racing? Uh, did you grow up into it? What's sort of your story? Yeah, well, I had... Uh... Just, you know, I'd watched it casually growing up. We're, I'm in Indianapolis, grew up in Indiana, not too far from uh, Kentucky. So we'd pay attention to big races a little bit. But really how I got into it, um, my father-in-law, when I met my wife, uh, she's from Evansville, Indiana, mm-hmm. which is Ellis Park territory. And my father-in-law was actually a, uh, a teller there in the summers. He, was a, he worked in the school system his whole career. And so he had summers basically off. And he worked as a teller at Ellis Park. So... Whenever uh, we would go to see her parents uh, before we got married, and then since um, we'd always, he'd always want to go to the OTB or go out to Ellis Park. And that's kind of where it started. And then I actually, totally unrelated, I had a cousin who got involved in the ownership side, um, in a in an Indiana bred here who was really a successful horse called Hoosier Kingdom. He uh, back about oh gosh, ten years ago at least now, and then that so that started interested in the ownership side and and so i got involved myself and a, a few other guys got involved pulled a kind of a partnership together and we've owned horses now for yeah, the better part of 10 years we we've got uh had some success we and um we had a stakes winner polar vortex was a routing philly here a three-year-old uh stakes winner um and then we've had a couple others that we've we she was actually a homebred we bred her as well and we kept her on now as a brood mare so we've got horses coming along and then recently in the last two years we've joined up with iron horse racing and bought in on some of their partnerships they've got a great no markup program um, that is really fantastic opportunity to get in incrementally it's a it's a lot less of a financial commitment quite frankly than the partnership that we've been doing before that so you could spread yourself out a little bit and we've had some success there too so it's been good and that was actually going to be my next question you know I've, I've heard and i'm sure every instance is unique to the individual whether it's a good experience a tough experience for a number of different reasons you know i've heard some people say that the the ownership side of things has really brought a different sort of viewpoint for them as far as the the thoroughbred itself is concerned, never mind the races and any of that kind of stuff. But then I've also heard the opposite side of the coin where, you know, for whatever reason, unfortunately, the horse that they're involved with just has constant issues, can't get to the racetrack, and it becomes not only a financial burden, but it becomes kind of discouraging. And then they take sort of, I don't want to say a negative view of things, but they're kind of they're, they're put off by it. And it sounds like you have been fortunate to, to have a pretty uh, solid experience thus far. Uh, we have overall, I mean, overall, if you look at it financially over the 10 years, I think we're probably about break even, mm-hmm. which is a win really yeah. in the ownership game. I mean, it's, 
it's not though it's not for the faint of heart i mean we've had you know a horse we claim for a decent chunk of money you know never do anything we've had other horses that that you know you just became unproductive and we had to retire and so forth but we've also had you know a couple really home runs that have kept the the whole operation afloat so um you know it's definitely a game of highs and lows and there's a lot more lows than highs and it takes a lot of patience but we're involved with a horse uh hope springs eternal we're involved with one with iron horse who's hopefully going to start down here at Gulfstream Park in the next week or two, uh, three-year-old Colt. So we're hoping that he does well. And we, we've got another winner on our hands, but we'll see. And you talk about how the game is, is full of, of highs and many, many lows. Not, not so different than the handicapping game. We have some highs and we have many, many lows. Hopefully we have a high here on Friday. Let's talk about this race, race seven at Aqueduct. It's a one-turn mile. Now winners of two other than, you know, for, for earlier mid-January, I think this is a pretty good group of horses put together. You've got some horses who have a little bit of stakes experience. You have some that can't quite necessarily hack it at that stakes level. But th- this spot, this is kind of, they're there. I, I would like to think of them, and it's not it's not a great analogy, but almost the AAA level as far as the comparison between horse racing and baseball. Baseball, I understand. The AAA players, you either have sort of your journeymen or you have your young up-and-comers who they're not quite ready for the bigs, but they're certainly excelling at a rate that they need to get through A or, or AA ball. And I, I kind of feel like you might have a little bit of a mix of that here where you've got some of those old salty vets who they can't quite hack it at that next level, but they are far better than dropping in for a $25,000 claiming tag. But you've also got some some younger, less experienced runners who, who knows, maybe if things all kind of come together maybe they can take that next step forward from a handicapping standpoint not just this race but but overall what's the your approach are you a pace player are you a class player replays that sort of thing um a little bit of all that but prime i always start with pace i always want to try to figure out in my mind who's going to be on the lead uh and what the race shape's going to look like are they going to have a lonely easy lead or is there a bunch of pressure are there bona fide closers you know just try to really figure out the pace of the race. And then I go, then I start looking at class. Um, are they come, jumping up? Oh, this is a great, this race is a great example where you've got stakes horses running in it that still have allowance conditions that are running. You've got high price claimers that are jumping up into allowance. You know, you've got a whole mix of class there. And then I also look at replays, you know, I don't look at every single horse and all the replays. I just, if I see a trouble line, I'll go back and look at the replay to see if that trouble line really happened or happened the way it's described. Or occasionally I like to try to see if there's trouble that was, you know, maybe missed or understated. So that's kind of the way I look at replay. I don't have the time to really go through and look at all the replays that I'd like to. I think the replay piece, you specifically the one that you bring up, where you take a look at that short comment line and, and you kind of go through to either check or you know confirm or deny that that was actually the case. I would strongly encourage folks if you only rely on the short comment line, at least go back if there is a troubled trip, or even if you have the opportunity to, yeah, go through and take a look, even if it's just the most recent run from some of these horses, because. And I'm I'm not naming names, and I'm not gonna just sort of single out different jurisdictions. But certain chart callers are either very, very good or very, very bad. And and that can go a long way to either determining whether a trip that, based on the short comment, sounds like it was a nightmare, ended up being very, very minor and nothing substantial. And conversely, one that looks like it's nothing really all that big can end up being a complete disaster and really be the difference between the horse running three or four lengths better than what they actually did. So I would strongly encourage folks, if you just rely on the short comment, if you can, if you have the ability to, whether it's one of the replay services or many ADWs have the option to just go through and watch replays, do yourself a favor and just at least a little bit more of a check there. So as far as this race goes, I think you laid it out very well. You've got some of those stakes horses who they've still got some of those allowance conditions. Maybe they're coming off of a lengthy layoff or whatever the case may be. Good spot, good return effort here. Maybe that springboards them to something else. And then we talked about some of those old salty vets who they can't quite hack it at that next level, but they're still very, very competitive. Uh, Where did your eye, where do you start with a race like this? Well, yeah, so here I just started trying to figure out the pace. I saw 
um, really early on. I just started, you know, from horse number one, mm -hmm. you know, post one through 10. And it became really apparent to me really quickly that we've got a bunch of, you know, horses that either need to lead or want to lead. And if they don't get it, they tend to to not run as well as when they're on the lead. So then, uh, then that in the back of my mind, as I'm going through, then I started saying, okay, well, who's the, who's the mid pack types or who's the closer types that might be able to take advantage of that. As far as the pace is concerned, Timeform US has it color-coded red, indicating that they believe it's going to be a swift pace, maybe helping horses coming from slightly off of it. Among the runners that figure to be in and amongst the early leaders, you have a horse like the number one Shotsky, you have a horse like like a Ragtime Blues, who we haven't seen in a few months, but based on that one route effort was just runoff speed for the most part. They make an equipment change there. High Velocity is a horse who's got a little bit of early foot, was forwardly placed at the same level at Aqueduct in the most recent start and just couldn't quite get the job done. You take a look at those three horses, that's not even including some of these other runners that have a little bit of early foot as well. I recognize a horse like Zoomer. I know a mile and an eighth to a one-turn mile. The speed isn't necessarily the same. It doesn't necessarily equal apples to apples. But another one who I can't imagine is going to be that far off of things. So you brought up sort of that second flight. Who in that second flight kind of attracted your attention? Yeah, sure. I think another one on the speed real quick, Mad Monies is another one, I think, that will show speed mm -hmm. there in the two-hole. I went to, um, initially, who caught my eye was uh, the 5 Montauk Traffic, 7 Kumar, and the nine, or the 10 Malibu Pro. Um, I thought, all you can make a case for all three of these horses. I, I thought Montauk Traffic, um, you know, he's kind of one that you described, the, the guy moving up from single A to double A to triple A. Uh, you know, lightly raced, second off a layoff, ha has upside, I think. that doesn't have the numbers yet, but has upside, to, you know, just another jump forward, and he's got the speed figures to win this race. Kumar, I like cutting back uh, to one turn. If you you look at his best races, um, it's around one turn. I think his, his last one was a mile and an eighth, and he just looked like he got tired. He was right there um, and just faded. And it's a second off a short layoff, and he's got a nice, strong five furlong work coming in. And I love the five furlong strong work, either one or two works back coming into a race. I think those are a lot more meaningful than the four furlong work. And then Malibu Pro, um, you know, he he's stepping up, but, you know, from 40K. But when you look at his last race, you know, he really ran strong, gets that cozy outside post can let the whole race develop to his inside um, and he's going to get the pace to close into. And he's, he's only run twice at Aqueduct, but he got first in one race and second in the other. So he clearly likes the track. So I, that's where my eye went to in this race. And just kind of going through those three horses from a, from a, possible post-time odds sort of situation i feel like montauk traffic is the one that'll probably take a little bit more money than the other two that you just mentioned simply because of the linda rice factor this is a horse who to your point it's, it's almost that double-edged sword where you can see that forward move coming you know that he is inexperienced but there's every right to believe or every reason to believe that he has the right to improve here second start off of a lengthy layoff got a little bit of an equipment change you almost wonder if he takes a little bit more money than necessarily he deserves to take against a group like this because he hasn't run as fast as they have yet. That doesn't preclude him from winning, though. You bring up a horse like Kumar on the turn back. I agree with you. It just feels like maybe that distance was just a, a call it a furlong too far for him. And now getting back specifically to the one-turn mile, he's won at N1X. Now, the N2X condition, we'll find out perhaps this level is going to be too much for him. But each of those two starts two and three back at Belmont. I, I thought he ran really well in each of those. And from a figure standpoint, he's really not that far off. I, I'm really fascinated by the Malibu Pro argument because this is an old, old salty vet. He's eight years old, just newly turned eight-year-old gelding. He's never really run at this level competitively anyway. And, and frankly, he's never been at the N2X level in general. But it's one of those things that the way that he's coming into the race I think he has every right to run big here, not only because he is one of the faster horses, but yes, yeah, stepping up in class is one thing. I like the run two back at Aqueduct in the one-turn mile where he's not entirely outrun. He's only a couple lengths off of it. And with the, the speed signed on here, I think with that outside draw, I would imagine you're going to get some sort of a mid-flight trip. And if this thing turns into a bit of a stamina test, 
he's clearly going to have the bottom coming out of that mile in an eighth race. So I can certainly see the case for Malibu Pro. And to be honest, I think he's probably going to be the best price of the three. I, I think he will too. I think Kumar will be a, a, you'll get a price there. And I think you will out of Malibu Pro. I, I've got a feeling you got horses in here with name recognition, like Shotsky that's going to take traffic or take money. I think Montauk traffic, you're right. It just jumps off the page, the trainer stats, the equipment change, you know, all those kind of things, the improvement you can see coming. Um, and then even some, you know, you look, you look at a horse like Zoomer who, who really showed kind of a new dimension last time out. Um, you know, really ran well, but I'm not sure the cutback to a mile helps him, and he's not going to get the lead here. Um, and the third place finisher in that, I did look at some replays and some things, uh, came out and kind of ran a dud last out. So I'm not sure how strong of a race that was, even though the number came back strong. Um, but on paper, you know, he looks like a real contender, so I think he'll take some money too. So if you're going to get your price in this race, unless maybe you bet on Shotsky, then he may go off at eight to five or something, but big field, lots of possibilities. The only two horses I tossed, I didn't like Acker at all. And uh, I can't, there was another one in here. I didn't really care for might've been high velocity, but, uh, or empty tomb. Neither one of those I really cared for either. I think you bring up, I thought you brought up a good point, too, with Zoomer for folks who, you know, if you just are, if you're new to the game or whatever it may be, maybe from a pace standpoint, you're having a hard time really identifying horses who who might be on the lead or close to it. You know, a horse like Zoomer, just because he won in gate-to-wire fashion at a mile and an eighth in the most recent start, that doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to have the speed to run with horses at a one-turn mile early on. And it's kind of evidenced, I understand those were three-quarter races and seven furlong races leading into that stretch out, but he's never been a horse who is remotely close to the lead. And I think it's also worth noting, Aqueduct this time of year, the track is just very, very deep. It doesn't yield fast times. I think it's really, I don't want to call it kind of a horse for course time of year at Aqueduct, but it does, it certainly takes an an animal who has the ability to kind of uh, be able to see out the distance. And if he has to use more speed early to stay with the other speeds that are projected to go in this race, even with the turn back and distance, I don't think that's a recipe for success. I agree with you. I think he probably sits about a length or two off the lead as well, maybe even farther back if he gets outrun and those other three or four really throw things down early. So we identified a few live contenders, a couple of nice prices in here, maybe a logical contender. Uh, if I had to hold your feet to the fire and you got to pick one, who's your pick for race seven at Aqueduct on Friday? Well, my pick... Um in real time will be kind of dictated by the odds. Sure. Uh, those three that I mentioned, but just sitting here today, I really like Malibu pro. I think that he's going to jump up and run a big race. He's a salty old war horse, like you talked about, and I'm not worried about him throwing in a dud. I mean, he's pretty consistent every time, even though he's running at cheaper levels. Um, he's run the speed figures and he's run against competition enough that he, he should be able to run an honest race. And then I would certainly look at uh, seven Kumar if he floats up as a, you know, an exacta uh, or even a trifecta with Montauk traffic. And maybe if you like one of the speeds like a shot ski or zoomer, maybe you throw them in the mix, but I, I would use them underneath. Perfect two for two at Aqueduct, including a victory, a two for two in the exact, I should say, including a victory in the run. Two starts back at this one-turn mile for the 10 Malibu Pro. Should be a nice price in the Friday feature this week, race seven at Aqueduct. If you want to be in Aaron's position next Monday, you need to leave your selection beneath the video player on YouTube. If you are correct, I will contact you. We will make something happen and set up a time. Maybe it will be Aaron again next monday congratulations on last week aaron thank you for the time this afternoon and good luck in friday's race hey appreciate it appreciate the segment it's always great to hear from other horse players out there and what they have uh, to say about these races because they definitely bring a new angle that that i don't always see for sure appreciate everything you do matt thank you appreciate it thanks to aaron reed for helping out with this week's friday feature again if you want to be in aaron's position next monday you need to leave your selection for the seventh at aqueduct this friday beneath the video player on youtube if you are correct i'll contact you and we will get things set up for next week now we will wrap up this week's show this episode 48 
with an update as far as the $500 challenge is concerned. Now, this was something I brought back last week, figured turn of the year, turn of the calendar. Let's bring it back, hopefully perform a little bit better than the first time through did. Well, as far as the actual numbers are concerned, first week wasn't great. Started with the bankroll of $500. Now it sits at $403.10. Uh, overall, we had 11 plays. Only one of them was actually a winner, but had, what, uh, two, three, four, five, six, seven of them hit the board. So 63.6% of the runners are in the money, only striking at 9% as far as the wins are concerned. There have been $131 churned. Again, the goal there is going to be to get to $10,000 churned. Um, and the average odds of these horses is 4.3 to 1. Now, the reason I'm not terribly disappointed with the sort of lack of success with the first week is I, I really think at least two of these horses that ran and hit the board were good enough and probably should have won. And that's not including a horse like Zestful at Santa Anita on Friday afternoon who Really ran, I thought, a pretty solid race, but got beat by an exceptional effort from Pubilius Cyrus on the main track. The two horses that I'm speaking of, and I have them already in my horse watch uh, for when they come back, Noble Indy, the number two, uh, I don't know if he was claimed out of his start at Gulfstream or not. I can take a look at that. But I thought, given the trip and him having to wait the way that he did and eventually when he got out and the way that he kicked... I really think he was the best in that race, and had he had clean run, I think he would have prevailed. Instead, he hits the board at odds of 5-2. to two. It is what it is. It's a loss as far as this game is concerned. The other horse that I really genuinely believe would have won, and it's easy to sit here and say that, and, and perhaps, you know, I'm sure someone's going to look at it and say there's some sort of a bias. Um, I... I happen to think Legendary Prince would have won that turf sprint on Saturday afternoon at 12 to 1 had he not had a, I'm going to call it an unfortunate trip and a less than stellar ride. Uh, I believe, I be- and I'm not going to name who the rider was in, in case I'm incorrect in who it was. I think it's someone. Uh, I believe it was a family member. He just, I think if he had just waited down on the inside, he would have had a seam that opened up as opposed to tip out five path at about the eighth pole. Still finished with the head of steam and only lost by, I think, about a half length. It is what it is. Unfortunately, these, these things happen, and it's nobody's fault. It's just, I think, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. So those are two that I think very easily could have been winners. Again, not including Zestful, who was beaten by, I think, a head or a neck. So all in all, yeah, the numbers don't look great as far as the bankroll is concerned and the overall win percentage, but the the horses are running. They're just not getting their nose down. And you know what? That happens from time to time. At least the form is solid enough. Uh, the horse that was the winner thus far, ride a comet. I'm very high on that horse. Uh, I know there's a chance that he runs in the Pegasus World Cup turf. To be honest, I would like to just keep him at those mile races. Uh, and I know for the males, they're kind of few and far between. But to me, he feels like a crack mile. Or sure, try to stretch him out if you want. There's there's a ton of money there. Why not take a shot? But I, I just I get the vibe that he's going to be a crack miler going forward. Um, he's got a big, big turn of foot. I just think he's a really nice horse for Mark Cassie and company. He went off at 2-1 to one and won. Um, there was actually, and I can try to pull this up on the fly here, had a comment and I had mentioned to someone that I would uh, comment or uh, address the, the question on the pod this week. So we'll try to find it. Another thing that's everyone's favorite when you're listening to something and people are scrolling through and searching. Uh, here we go. Uh, I'm going to Todd Barch. Barch. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, Tom. Uh, the comment I am aware that you said wagers would be 3% of bankroll. Parentheses until a winner hit on the day, then 1%, which is what happened on Saturday. Write a comment. One, I came back with Fighting Mad, only bet 1% on her. 
uh, with the idea that you want to lock in a profit, and I think it helps just as far as overall bankroll health is concerned for the long term. Uh, it may be beneficial to list the individual wagers slash returns from the day from the previous day on each day's YouTube note. I'm needing to assume that the wagers on January 6th were $15, $15, $13 to get to the $43 total. Uh, Tom, thank you for the comment. You can, again, find all of these little videos that I've been putting out as far as the horses. If if I haven't written about them on racingpicks.com, they, for the most part, are put into a video that I put over on my channel. Um, so kind of to put things to, to answer that question, uh, the first three plays actually at – on the first day were $15, $14, and $14. Now, the logic for me is whatever the number ends up being, uh, so let's just say 3% of this 403 right here, do a quick uh, mental math here, or 403.1, I should say, times 0 0.03, 12.09. Uh, now, this is a very easy number. It'll be a $12 bet for the next horse that goes out. It'll probably be be on Tuesday. I don't know if I'll do a video tonight or tomorrow morning, but it'll probably be on Tuesday that I put something together. It'll be a $12 wager. Now, when it gets under $12, let's say, it's into the high 11 range, I round down to the nearest whole number or full number. I don't remember which, you know, <laughs> the maths, you know, they get you as far as what the numbers themselves are called. Integers, whatever they are. The idea is I'm going to round down. So at 11.93, Instead of betting $12, I'll bet $11, and it'll stay there. Again, with the idea being just trying to preserve bankroll for the longevity and trying to make this thing last for as long as it can in route trying to get to that $10,000 churn. So those first three bets were 15, 14, and 14. Day two were 13 and 13. One of the horses was washed off the turf. Uh, you go to the next day, 12, 12, 12, and then on Saturday, 11, 11, and 4. And again, that $4 bet was 1% of the bankroll at that given time because Ridicom had locked in a profit for the day. So that's getting you up to speed on this. And please head on over to my YouTube channel, uh, Matt Bernier, subscribe, the bell icon, the whole jazz, you know that deal, uh, because that's where these videos will live. Uh, they're brief. They're very quick. I don't do anything too crazy. I try to keep it to about two minutes in total to go over the two or three horses that uh, will be part of the $500 challenge for that given day. And as usual, uh, as far as the written pieces are concerned, those will take place Thursday, Friday, Saturday, typically over on racingpicks.com. So that's the update for the $500 challenge through one week. We're at 403.10 with $131 churned. Hopefully we get back on the beam in good shape tomorrow afternoon somewhere, if there is something. Hopefully there'll be a video out again, my YouTube channel. Uh, questions, comments, concerns about the $500 challenge, about the Friday feature, Aqueduct Race 7, or about... The Pegasus World Cup, the dirt or the turf, and the idea of Monomoy Girl in 2021. Beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter, at Bernier underscore Matt. However you listen to this thing, whether it's audio only or on YouTube, please rate, review, and subscribe. It means a great deal to all of us. Thumbs up, thumbs down, whatever you're feeling like. Either way, if you like it, great. Thumbs up. If you hate it, thumbs down. That's fine. Doesn't bother me. But either way, get involved. You can follow me on Twitter, at Bernier underscore Matt. I will be back next Monday with episode 49 of the program, getting ready to head down to Gulfstream Park for the Pegasus World Cup. Again, you can find that on NBC. Uh, I believe it's the 23rd, if my dates are correct. It is Saturday the 23rd. So looking forward to that. Until next Monday, best of luck however you play, whatever you play, and wherever you play. This has been episode 48 of the Matt Bernier Show.